Hello, and welcome to episode 142 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Hamesbergen. I'm Embryonics on Twitter, and I'm joined by a motley crew of RPG enthusiasts today. First of all, we've got our lovely reviews editor, Alana. Impossible is just a word, Higgs. <laughs> Impossible is just a word. Uh, hi, everyone. Alana Higgs on Twitter. <laughs> and we are also joined by Peter, mm, the penultimate Jedi, Treasonberg. <laughs> I, I'm uh, Peter Treisenberg. I have Fury. I have Fury on Twitter. The second to last Jedi confirmed. Yeah, that's you. We've also got Robert Space Trash Fenner. I'm here. I'm queer, and my gender is now Mango Beer. Hello, Mister <laughs> Bob on Twitter. All um, right. I couldn't have cultivated a better intro if I had planned for that. And finally, uh, last and definitely not least, we are joined by a new face today. We've got our newest panelist, co-host, uh, contributor, associate, uh, accomplice in crime, whatever you want to call him. This is Greg, Canadian sensation, Delmage. Hi, Greg. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm um, probably unreasonably excited to be here. I'm so glad. Uh, Greg <laughs> is actually, so this is nepotism at work, folks. Greg is a friend of mine who I met many years ago because he actually reached out to us about the podcast. Um, I want to say, so we were discussing this earlier. It was Rhythm Encounter, right? I believe it was, yeah. I think that's where I first kind of started reaching out to you and Stephen. Right. So Greg uh, wrote into us and talked to us here and there. And uh, over the years, it's, of which it's been several now, it's been probably like five years or more. It sounds about right, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, yeah at the very least five. Mm-hmm. We've just been chatting, um, started out with just feedback about the show, and then we developed a friendship, and, uh, you know, we Skype each other, like, semi-regularly. I'm not always great at it, but we uh, <laughs> catch up on touch in on about once a year or something like that. Yeah, uh, we at least chat about games and stuff, but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, a nice opportunity. It worked out that Greg had been looking for a way to get involved with the site, our schedules finally aligned, and now he is here. So you can look forward to Greg being on the podcast pretty regularly, and we're hoping to have him bring in some new and interesting perspective. He's a, a dad, and he raises a, a his stepdaughter, Gwen, who's like an up-and-coming gamer, and they play together. And stuff, <laughs> so. Yeah, so we're hoping to get his perspective on all that kind of stuff, maybe get a new segment in here or something. But at the very least, um, Greg is just a fantastic guy, and I'm excited to have his voice here. Dodge shucks you. I was asking Greg, are you a dad of war, though? Uh, I, not so far. I'm a fairly peaceful dad and a very patient dad. So uh, I tend Canada, not to get um, ridiculously excited and chop the ogre's heads off, as per Kratos. <laughs> hey, there may come a time, though. You never know. You may oh, believe me. If like anyone uh, tried to F with her, they would quickly see it. But Absolutely. thankfully, she's pretty chill, which keeps everyone pretty chill around her. So Good. That's funny. We were actually talking about Dad of War in the Slack yesterday about how, yeah. like, I, I, for one, wasn't interested in it because uh, my background with God of War is that I thought they were, I played the first two, I thought they were fun action games that were kind of gross, and I just wasn't That's really fair. interested in the mythology or, like, the, you know, the characters or anything. I People always point to Kratos as, like, oh, he's one of the most iconic characters, and it's, like, I guess because his face was on stuff, but... I, I never really saw. He was him like a literal icon. Character. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's everybody's talking about Dad of War, but next week we've got the Grandpa of Dojima coming out as well in Yakuza Six. <laughs> it's it's Me true. Too. Yeah, the Grandpa <laughs> Dragon, right? Of Dojima, or is that somebody else? I think so. Yeah. That yeah. Right. Kiryu. Kiryu-san. But uh, yeah, so God of War, I I wasn't really that interested in the new one. I just kind of wrote it off as a thing. But much like with uh, my example that I go back to is Resident Evil. 
I enjoyed, loved Resident Evil 1 and 2, just didn't really mess with 3 that much, but it was fine. When 4 came out, I thought it wasn't going to be my thing because I wasn't, and still remain not that into shooters. But a friend played it in front of me, and I was like, oh my god, I'm totally hooked on this. So I went on to love and play the crap out of Resident Evil 4. So this kind of feels like the same thing because God of War's review embargo just lifted yesterday, and the praise is outrageous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more than just like it's good. It's like this is a defining experience for human beings. It's <laughs> crushing. Yeah, I know that was um. I think Easy Allies even said like this is a new benchmark for the gaming industry and should be experienced by every human. Actual isn't that isn't that what everybody said about Bioshock Infinite for the first month? Definitely wolves. I'm, I'm skeptical about these kind of games. I'm yeah. a little skeptical myself. <laughs> Me too. I am too. Um, um, I think I'm gonna actually play this one though, because I like I went from zero interest to like, okay, if it is a unanimous consensus that it's good, I'm sure I can at least wring something mm-hmm. out of it, you know, even if it's not. Yeah, I think it looks. I think it looks really fun. Like I was catching up some of the gameplay they released, and I think it looks like a really interesting departure for the series gameplay wise, which is good because we made. I think they kind of reached their peak with that formula. Mm. I remember um, when they announced this game, we were all. Kind kind of like dreading like oh they're gonna announce god of war 4 and then we went from that to being like oh this looks different mm-hmm. but um when i hear people saying that somehow like they recontextualize kratos as a character and you know they contextualize the violence they make him more sympathetic i'm like really he kind I'm... of blew up the planet in god of war 3 right yeah <laughs> and i think i think though that is the sort of theme that i need as the type of player I am, I guess the type of person I am to connect with a story like this, because Rob Steinman was saying that he's really interested in this sort of new wave of like the dad game. And I can appreciate that as something new and different. And it's also, I mean, it's not really different anymore. It's, it's sort of becoming a thing. Um, I can appreciate that as something that appeals to this player base. The people who were playing God of War 15 years ago on the PS2 are now playing this new God of War, and it's like they've moved on in their lives from sort of like the angry teenager into possibly a father. Um, Maybe that's not something that I can relate to personally, but certainly other people, including at least one person on this podcast, can relate to the idea of like being a dad and wanting to guide somebody through the world. So um, They're trying to put in subtle um, hints that perhaps people should be more responsible. (laughs) Possibly, yeah. So, So that's the kind of hook that I need to be able to... Uh, maintain an interest in this game or like to to connect with it on any level because if if it was just more you know like gore fest violence then that's not that's something that i was like barely able to stomach at the time and now i'm just like i'm over it like i'm not there are other things that i could be playing for sure i was reading i was reading an interview today actually with um it was an interview between Merritt k and um robert yang uh the the uh, queer game designer. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for Mel shift. Magazine. That's right. Stick Chef, Cobra Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was um, talking... He raised the very salient point that um, masculinity in games has gone from, like, juvenile ultraviolence to, like, being a cool dad and protecting the child and, like, what is the in-between? And um, that's that's given me some pause. Hmm. I think that's reasonable. Something there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that I hope to see because, again, these reviews are all out. They had to be out by review embargo. Like uh, a lot of them feel very hyperbolic um, to say yeah. things like this is one of humanity's crowning achievements. It's like, calm the F down, please. Yeah. The, the memes, <laughs> like people, people will be posting, like, you know, 
that one guy who tweeted, like, what if The Legend of Zelda had an epic cinematic story? Yeah. The answer is Demi Kids, light and dark version. <laughs> hey, Demi Kids was uh, okay. Demi Kids was pretty, actually, pretty okay. Yeah. Don't knock Demi Kids. No, I know. It's, it's no Rond, but. <laughs> no. Speaking of which, I just saw that there was like a new fan translation out for um, what was there was like Tengai Makyo and then Last Bible 2, I think, just got a fan translation, oh, which Bible is one of the. That's been okay, maybe it was a different. Maybe it was three. Is there a third? I have no idea. Oh my god, is three out? <gasps> there was something oh. about Last Bible something getting a fan trends. I'm obviously very up on my news here. Okay, oh I'm goodness. I'm like a journalist or whatever. So. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's out. Last Bible three is out. Oh, I can finally write something about it. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad that I was able to. Do that. <laughs> yeah. So um, for God of War specifically, I I think this is one where the initial praise because I mean this. It's obviously a pretty important game. Um, it's making a lot of people talk. So at the very least, I'm hoping to see some more nuanced reflection, maybe a little bit down the line. Kind of like, you know, when we saw uh, Breath of the Wild got a lot of very hyperbolic praise in the beginning. And I, you know, I still love the game. Um, and in fact, Peter's been playing it a ton, right, Peter? Oh, yeah, recently. yeah. I've been playing it for the first time. And it's, I'm definitely, the charms haven't worn off yet. Yeah, it's so good. It's just one of those things where it's like, it can be hard to take a step back and assess it, you know, for its faults or whatever. Uh, and I'm not just saying to explicitly look at it from a negative angle, but it can be hard to assess that um, when you're in the middle of all of that hype and enthusiasm. So yeah, exactly. The excitement for a new thing can definitely take a person and run away with them. And, and we tend to yeah get wrapped up in that hyperbole. Uh, what was it? Neil deGrasse Tyson was uh, tweeted yesterday saying, Back in my day, the word awesome was used for uh, things like people landing on the moon, not uh, oh, not oh, uh, oh for so TV shows. And it is. It is very much. It's very much a pretentious statement, but at the same time, it does speak to our generation very much likes to say we love and everything is awesome and that whole mindset. So it's trying to find new synonyms, I guess, to or ways to enunciate what you feel. Yeah, I think it's just about like being able to embrace nuanced critique of things. Like there yeah. are plenty of things that I'm sure all of us like that are not universally perfect in every way, but that we still love them, right? Like, so it's just a matter of being willing to accept like, oh yeah, no, I get that. I, I hear this complaint or maybe how this theme doesn't resonate with some people, but I still really like it. You know, I think that's all we really need to do. Read as marriage. Yeah, well... Um, Dark. Yeah, right? have to, well, it's true though. I mean, any relationship, there's always going to be things. I mean, I love the heck out of Gwen, and then there's times I want a defenestrator. It's, <laughs> well, it's she is a child, so. <laughs> and it happens. Even yeah, and her mom says the same thing. She's like, "It's completely normal. You're allowed to feel these things. Don't act on them, but they right. are completely normal feelings." Yeah, that is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, things can be frustrating. Exactly. Unless anybody think that we were getting too off topic, we are covering God of War for RPG fan. Uh, I don't ah, think yes. any of us here is playing it for the site, right? Is uh, Rob Rogan's going to do it? Yep, that's right. So, okay, cool. so you can look forward to his review uh, when we get a review code. Unfortunately, we were not among the earlier wave of critics to get that one, so probably in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and maybe it'll be less hyperbolic because it'll be further out. That's possible. <laughs> so um, I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll bring it up on the podcast regardless. So several of us have been playing... Um, some games this week, some some new, some old. <laughs> so uh, first I want to get into one that I know very, very little about. 
Fenner, you've been playing Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor. I have. Uh, yeah, so tell us about this game. It's on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a uh, this is an indie game by a small developer called Sunday Month. Uh, it is an adventure game. Um, how can I describe this? Um, I very much enjoy games that uh, critique uh, capitalism, from you know, like Night in the Woods to Mother Three, uh, Cart Life, and so on and so forth. Um, and Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor is most definitely one of these games, but wrapped in like a layer of cuteness. Um, so like, you, let's take the concept of an RPG like Fantasy Star or Infinite Space. Um, and it's, it's it's this distant planet of Zabrin's Rock somewhere in the far reaches of space um, where the whole planet is covered in these ruins of an ancient civilization. So adventurers are flocking in droves from every corner of the galaxy to you know plunder treasure make a name for themselves fight big monsters etc um but then there's you uh a an alien sea girl beast who works as the spaceport janitor so each day you walk around the spaceport in the surrounding marketplace um all the vendors are selling um rpg-esque items for too much money um you know so there's stuff like there's general trash and then there's stuff like uh swords and uh spells and uh potions that give you like plus 10 to agility and you can't use any of these because you're not an adventurer you're just the janitor so you're probably not going to want to buy anything from from these market stalls but if you if you find something that somebody's dropped you can probably sell it to make a little bit of a profit um so you know you just walk around day in and day out picking up uh, candy wrappers and spoiled food and spells that people have dropped and incinerate them. Um, looking and you know people are catcalling. Aliens and robots are catcalling you, and you're you're looking for this way to break the uh, drudgery of your um, soul crushing job and and escape from this planet. Um, well, that sounds so just like real life. Yeah, exactly. Like real life. Um, <laughs> and there are floating skulls, just like real life. Yeah, yeah. Early on, you hear rumors of uh, a mystical artifact hidden in the sewer ruins. Um, so you 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 head into the ruins to find it, and it's, it turns out to be this cursed skull, uh, who for the rest of the game just sort of floats floats around, and like every twenty seconds, just zooms at your head and goes ah. Um, so you have to like get enough money to complete these three side quests to reassemble the three pieces of this mythical tablet that was that is said to break the curse. Um, the first of these quests is um, buying porn uh, for um, some sleaze bag who's just hanging out in a back alley, and like the porn dealer is he's selling like magazines about spaceships or magazines about gardens, um, <laughs> like gardening. <laughs> Um, so like I, I had to incinerate a bunch of trash and I couldn't afford to buy food. So I was eating garbage off the floor and then throwing up and then incinerating my own garbage <laughs> to get extra money. So I spent several days just like eating trash and like working through being sick to buy this alien, his porn. And I took it to him and he's like, no, I don't like this one. This is the wrong one. (laughs) So I had to, I had to incinerate it and then save up again to get him the right porn. Well, we've Uh, all got our tastes. So it's only fair. There's a real big analogy to life and somewhere in there. Yeah. Like, do you guys remember that 
during the 90s FMV craze pissed with John Goodman? No. It was... It was I a do remember that craze, but I don't remember that. <laughs> it was a yeah. It was a parody of Mist, um, where like the concept was you were walking around the island after the millions of players got through with it. So it was just like garbage everywhere. Um, <laughs> and I, I think Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor has a few things in common with Mist, but it's not as nearly as like cringeworthy or like oh, it's so edgy. It's there's definitely a, a sweetness about it and like even being cursed by this skull, which is, you know, like I would take it as like a metaphor for the worrying about money and worrying about your crappy job. Um but there's something like almost comforting about it. And I think that's probably ant- antithetical to the point because it is, you know, the this game is just about like resigning yourself to a life of drudgery. But um, what I yeah. like so much about this is just the the general look of it. It looks like um, it, it's this low polygon town, and it looks a little bit like a town that you would see in a game like Xenogears or uh, Grandia. Segway, segway. Um, and I I love those um, mid mid nineties PS one RPG towns, and it's the kind of uh, kind of environment that i kind of want to lose myself in and explore and mm-hmm. you know that's basically what you're doing here even though you're just the janitor he's got yeah, that look the choppy chunky polygons and yeah. the like kind of neon you know obviously futuresque and uh the it kind of well i it's hate to always Mega Man it. legends it rem- yes Mega Man yes. legends yes. oh my yeah. god <laughs> I was going to say, I hate to always do that. I'm going to compare it to X thing, but it really, that's what it does for me, except the characters are um, kind of 2D sprites, right? That move up around. That's or do right. Have yeah. full 3D models? That's no, very... no, it's just, just 2D sprites. Okay, cool. Yeah, the you know, sprites it also look good. reminds me of um, the chiptune music band that does more than chiptune now, Anamanaguchi. They mm. released a weird, uh, I don't know what I would, it was like a game where you explored this weird little 3D environment that they made, and then you would find cds were they cds or i think maybe tapes cassettes i can't remember that you would put in this little radio and you could listen to the music and it was new music that they had composed but it was like a weird way of accessing it yeah like there's like 90s games like the residence bad day on the midway or i think devo did one as well that was a big thing for a while like bands putting out albums in that format yeah so they cool i have to set this out kitschy and weird i forget what it's called i'm gonna have to look it up but yeah um for a while that was like the only way to get it and i think people have since ripped it and you can probably find it without having to play the game but the game is like part of the charm it's super weird they did like the scott pilgrim soundtrack didn't they off topic but uh yeah the game they did the scott pilgrim oh nice beat him up game soundtrack yes Mm -hmm. and then they did their album endless fantasy which was uh is still like one of my fave chiptune album chiptune albums and they did so good it is so good yeah there's some real hits on that I think they're working they do... on something new as well, but it's not going to be chip tuny. They've said, but... and they did bit trip, whatever uh, that app game, bit trip runner. Did, did they do that one as did well? They they to... I thought they did part of the soundtrack or all of it as well. I thought. I'm... I I'm not sure, but that wouldn't surprise me. There somebody out really there on really... the internet is screaming at me, being like, "No, they <laughs> you idiot! How could you not know this esoteric fact off the top of your head?" <laughs> yeah. But, oh, okay. I didn't play it. I'm sorry. You're, you disgust me. Why are you even on this show? <laughs> sorry, I want to say there's some there's something kind of interesting about games that um put you on the ground level, so to speak, um and kind of 
Would you say, Fenner, that Diaries of the Spaceport Gender kind of deconstructs the genre a little bit? Uh, well, it's it's definitely um. Well, I mean, it's it's a pretty standard adventure game, but it's definitely a parody of, you know, what you think of as the sprawling RPG town. You know, I mentioned like you you pick up these. You know, you 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 can either pick up these weapons that characters have dropped, or you know, go to a stall and see what they have for sale. And you know, it'll be a very RPG option. Like, um, this is a this is a powerful sword made of aluminum. Uh, it is for people with 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 three arms. You don't have three arms, or like um, plus plus ten to vitality. You won't be needing that. You know, <laughs> so it's just like, oh, it's it's just a world of of garbage and um, overpriced goods that you don't need and you don't want. But you're kind of aspiring to anyway. You know, um, it's it's ble- it's like bleak cute. I don't know if that's a genre, but I think that's how I would describe this game. It sounds pretty fitting. And yeah, definitely like the developers trying to draw a parallel to probably a lot of the current state of affairs in people's lives and just trying to take a look at what you actually can value, what actually means something to you and what are you actually aspiring to maybe? Oh, I should mention the gender system since that was my uh, tagline uh, coming into this episode. Um, there are, uh, there are gender kiosks in this game where you can buy gender. Um, <laughs> and um Every so often, um, you start feeling uncomfortable in your gender and itchy, and um, this has the side effect of uh, making text on screen temporarily unreadable. Um, so uh, every couple of days, you gotta you go to the go to the gender kiosk, get yourself a new gender, which will be like this gender will um, sprout uh, spikes all over your body, or this gender absorbs energy from the sun. And then you'll uh, you'll pop your gender pill, and then you'll get a message that's like procedurally generated. It's like your gender is now NPC, or woo, or your gender is a lycanthrope. What can possibly go wrong? Um, <laughs> I saw one that was Susan Sarandon. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, I, I, I believe there. Um, I, I believe some of the members of st- of of the development team are trans and doing kind of like a a cute cheeky aside to dealing with drudgery and also having to uh, pay to feel more at home in your own body. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's yeah, pretty that powerful, actually. And with, yeah, you know, not being able to concentrate. Um, with, the, with the zillion genders on display, I mean, it's so easy to um, make the knee-jerk reactionary joke of like, oh, your gender is now uh, an, an attack helicopter or whatever. But it, I, I think that's... It's more earnest than that, and more like, yeah, you're you're whatever the hell you want to be today. It's good. It's really good. And it's only ten bucks. It is. Yes, Yay. I yeah. highly eleven dollars Canadian. Okay, well, we don't care about your devil money on this podcast. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so I haven't. We're on the rise. Yet. We're climbing. I, I yeah. have assembled two of the three tablets, uh, and I'm still playing daily because you know just fitting in a day. Uh, fitting in a, an in-game day over like a 10-minute period is a pretty satisfying little loop, and the soundtrack is really good as well. So um, I think it's pretty sure it's probably... I've, I've put in maybe about five hours. It's probably like a six- or seven-hour game, but um, I highly recommend it. It's really touched my cold black heart. <laughs> it's weird and kind of trippy and seems earnest and fun, so... Mm, yeah. I'm intrigued. I would love to. 
Well, games that aren't really setting our worlds on fire collectively. Uh, Alana has been playing the sequel to a game that came out. God, it was a PS3 game. And uh, again, I'm a great journalist. I don't remember the year that it came out. Early 2010s or so. Um, yeah, 2013 or 14, I believe. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. it was a game about a witch with a bunch of minions. Uh, and she was uh, a really unlikable character. And now NIS America, or I guess, uh, who, who's the developer? Just NIS is revisiting the franchise. Yeah, Nippon and Nisa, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's Witch and the 100 Night 2. Yeah. So how much have you been enjoying that, Alana? Oh, tons. Um, <laughs> not very words. much. Yeah, so much. But I missed the first game, and I think a lot of us, I don't know, none of you have played it, I'm assuming, the first game, or? No, no not at all. Bad. No. Um, well, with the way Derek lobbed that in, it was a, it's a very glowing review. <laughs> yeah um so yeah the witch and the 100 night the original from the research that i've done wasn't particularly well received it was really buggy as derek said there's a bunch of unlikable characters they're all very tropey and the sequel doesn't have any of the bugs but it basically takes everything else from the first game and somehow seems to make it some of it's a little bit better and some of it's a little bit some of it's a lot worse basically so, <laughs> so it's a it, sorry so it's an nis game uh, it's an NIS game, basically, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, depends if you like Disgaea, really. Um, Disgaea's probably their only possible thing, but um, even that's getting a bit tired with its mm. uh, extortionate character number and extreme character tropes. So, yeah. Um, so, The Witch and the 192, you don't have to play the first game, fortunately. Fortunately, in air quotes, let's say. Um, it's not related. It well, it takes place hundreds of years afterwards, but there is no direct link apart from this hundred night character, which is a doll, and it's a legendary character that's passed on through stories and such, and he saves people and he kills other people and so on and so forth. But the game follows um, a girl called Amelie, and she is her sister has been infected by witch's disease, and that means that she gets an eye on her forehead, and after a period of time, if that eye opens, then the girl turns into a witch and destroys whatever's in the near radius or infects other people with just what's the downside <laughs> exactly how is this a curse i mean this is um. the thing which is a cool right but yeah so the obvious joke's a curse she has the disease <laughs> which disease which disease oh which disease wow. which disease wow. <laughs> this is what you signed up for it's not too late to kick me off mm. no you're welcome here <laughs> carry on sorry alana no, it's fine. That was a good one. But why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> so she's um, cursed, with, cursed with witch disease and your objective is to somehow use the hundred night, etc. to like cure her? No. So very early on in the game. So long story short, uh, sisters are kicked out of their village because she's a witch and they're worried that it will infect everybody else. Um, so they get taken in by this holy group of warriors called the Vice Ritter. They are claiming, or they can, they can cure, sorry, they can cure the disease, and they f experiment on the sister, but it fails, and she turns into the witch Chelka, and I like witches, witches are the stereotypical, fun, kind of like, cackly, I make potions, I kill people, but sometimes they're good as well, they're not all bad. Um, Chelka is the most irritating little brat I've ever had the displeasure of sitting with for 20 hours of a game, but fortunately... Being even though the game is titled The Witch and the Hundred Night Two, you only you don't even play as the witch, and she's not even around for 
50-60% of the game because periodically the character swaps between Milm and the witch, so who's Milm is the little sister. But you control the Hundred Knight, who swips, swaps between both Chelka uh, and the older sister, Amelie, who eventually joins this holy group of knights to fight the witches. Um, so other than that, really, the first chapter is kind of explosive and starts off like the one of the buildings gets destroyed, the witch is on the run, the sister's like, oh my god, my sister's gone missing. And Hundred Knight is kind of cute, like he squeaks and you do have choices so you can like agree or disagree with the witch or whoever you're with at the time. They don't seem to have too much bearing outside of the end of the game. Um, so there are three endings if you so care to make it through 20 hours. Um, but... Yeah, it just goes very downhill very quickly. So Amelie is probably the most bearable character. She is, I say bearable, but she's very typically like, I don't want to say typically weak, but she tries to be strong. And unfortunately, the game doesn't give her an opportunity to be strong or do anything for herself because the, the Hundred Knight decides to go out with her and help her um, instead of the witch. And... Mm -hmm. She is constantly calling on him. She'll run into a huge monster and she will walk up to it, get smacked and just go, oh, 100 Knight, please do everything. Please do it. And it's like, really, uh. you have some kind of space to do things. Like, she's actually okay because she has this strong relationship with her sister. And the relationship between her and the witch is quite interesting because she's trying to save her sister. She sees her sister in the witch. And she's just trying to do everything she can. But unfortunately, the game likes to shaft her and put her to one side and say, it's okay, the woman can't do anything. And that is very frustrating because mm. aside from her being slightly tropey anyway, but, you know, you can give her some kind of agency to do her own thing. So that leaves the rest of the cast who... They're a lot more independent, but unfortunately they are even more irritating. So... The soldiers for the Vice Ritter are all special snowflakes, and especially as someone I draw attention to in one of the pictures on my review, which will be up in a couple of weeks' time, is Lisa, and she is the chief medic, basically. But her design is absolutely ridiculous, and she basically, her weapon is like a tail, but it doesn't, she doesn't have any legs, like her trousers, she has no pants, no nothing. And it's just one right. sheet of cloth and a nurse's outfit, basically. And typical, yeah, typical Nisa-style design for ladies with ample chest. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's relying a lot on, like, visual titillation and characters mm. that are very one-dimensional, it sounds like. Exactly. Oh, boy, I've just looked up this character. Good She's God. Awful. She's awful. And what's yeah. worse, she has two personalities. So she's really, when she's doing all her like nursing stuff, she's really like straight faced. She has a monotone voice and everything. So she basically goes into like a robot mode. But then there's the leader of this organization and she goes all cooey cooey and doe eyed and everything and just like, I will do everything for you, master. And it's like, please kill me. Like, please stop. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, okay. So they haven't reinvented any of their well-worn well well-worn tropes in terms of characterization or story it yeah. sounds like what's Definitely. the gameplay i i was under the impression that this was like i have no idea i thought it was like an rts or something but it's an action game 
Yeah, so it's an action game, and it borrows a little bit from um, Nisa. When Mike Sabato went to the press event, they didn't really market it as a roguelike, but it does take some ideas from roguelikes. So there's things like, like you get lots of loot all the time. There's a limited inventory space. You have time limits on how long you can be out and things like that. And then it's got procedurally generated dungeons, which are not common for roguelikes, but there are certain RPGs like Persona obviously older persona games and dark cloud to go back as far as 2001 have procedurally generated dungeons they can work if you make the environments really interesting but the witch in the hundred like two sees you going around basically one giant map and this map varies between three different landscapes but you probably spend about 50 60 70 percent maybe in a forest and sometimes it'll be poisonous so it'll be slightly purple and sometimes it'll be snowy and slightly white and all the screenshots i saw of that first game were just of a poisonous forest yeah exactly so it's exactly the same the difference is is the first game doesn't have procedurally generated dungeons it's actually a unique environment so you'll spend a lot of time running around in this one and you'll go through one screen and it'll be like oh you can go left and right and then there'll be enemies above the lake or there'll be enemies on an island in the middle of a lake um and then you could maybe go for another screen, four screens later, and not only would the area look the same, but the enemy placement is exactly the same. So you will mm. know where every single item and chest and enemy is basically. And Dot hack so... syndrome. Yeah, Dot exactly. Dot hack does the same thing. You reviewed that, didn't you, Peter? You're giving me flashbacks, Derek. Right? <laughs> How in like you'd ha- you go through these randomly generated dungeons or procedurally generated, whatever, and you'd encounter the same group of enemies, like the same, you know, there'd be like two big hulking guys and a little flying thing. They'd be in the yeah. same spot in the room. The encounter would start with the same AI, like, oh my gosh. And it'll be the same items and it'll be the same one or two dungeon layouts with the exact same music. And <laughs> and you're going to do that a thousand times. <laughs> cool. At least so, <laughs> at least they'll have, have some kind of a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least that hex story is like uh, overall pretty decent, but... It's It's got an interesting concept to back itself up, which it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like The Witch and the Hundred Knight has beyond, unless you're really into the fan service. Yeah. I I know they're out there. I don't judge. So so there's just one nurse. Uh, So there is just one nurse, but... Because I'm looking at these characters and they're all dressed like nurses. Exactly. So the all of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was a nurse unit, and then there's like this warrior unit, which is what Amelie decides what well, she wants to be a part of. So yeah, all the outfits are basically white dresses or white jumpsuits or white boiler suits, and a little hat with a little cross on it. Like you're not nurses. You're cu- you're curing things, but you're not nurses. But <laughs> it's just really fetishy. But um, yeah, gameplay is. Oh my god. Going into gameplay specifically, it's not too bad. It's just repetitive. So the first game had some real kind of problems in terms of the where you have um, a limited inventory. You had, in the first game, you were given stomach stones occasionally, so you'd pick up items and you'd get something called a stomach stone. And that would basically take up a slot of your inventory and you can only carry, like, five items. It grows over how many levels you are and whatever. Um... But in this game, it removes it, so you don't have so much inventory management problems, but you get so much, and you can fuse it all at the end of each um, exploration period you've taken or whatever, and you just get so much, and it's so overwhelming. Like, this is not... The menu interface is not friendly at all. Like, it's just clicking through buttons and shuffling through things. Like, you will probably pick up about 70 or 80 items sometimes a run, or 
within 10 minutes, you'll probably have a full inventory. I found it more difficult to manage my inventory the bigger my inventory was because you just get so much crap for better word, um, lack of a better word. And Yeah, so you have to manage it less, but it's still full of the same yeah. garbage and there's more of it to deal with at a time. So it's overwhelming. Yeah, so there's like a really simple synthesis system as well. Um, I'm talking about everything but the combat at the moment. Um, but again, there's every weapon has like two different ranks. So you can either have common, um, rare, epic, and legendary. But then those weapons are sub-ranked as well. So you get like rank one, two, three, four, and so on. And it's like, what's better? Do I just carry on upgrading the legendary weapon? So if you have a legendary weapon, you can let, like fuse it up to level 99. Whereas if you have a rare, you can only fuse it up to 50. Or do I like chuck everything on the new weapon that's rank four, but only common? And it just gets so much to deal with. And it's it's really easy to get really overpowered. And it's one of those games where enemy level doesn't really matter. It's more often size. So you can fight level 15s when you're level 10, as long as they're not five times as big as you. So it does suffer from that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like Xenoblade, I suppose, because you, I, you can easily kill some level 15 horses when you're like level 15 but if you go to a level 15 eight when you're level like level 10 then no do not go near that territorial rock bar do not okay. do it <laughs> oh yeah he will stomp you into the ground like a fine paste definitely um combat is pretty fun though it's pretty simple um it's a little bit fiddly at times so you just press one button to attack but you can equip five different weapons at the same time so you can have say a sword as your first attack then you might want a spear as your second attack and a staff as your third, however you want. And you can have up to five and you can do five hits. But usually you have to swap them around quite a lot because certain enemies are weak to swords, but certain enemies won't get damaged by swords. So you'll have to put a hammer on the first attack to ensure you get through everything as quick as possible. And it's just pressing one button the whole time and it's just boring and dull and it's okay for five minutes, but not for 20 hours, I think. That's yeah. probably a good summary. Mm. Um, it's dodging <laughs> as well. I don't remember if this was in the first game, or I don't know. But there's something called Mystical Dodge, which, you know, Bayonetta got there first with Witch Time, but we'll skip that. Um, and it's so <laughs> precise. So enemies, you can dodge and they'll slow down time, and then you get more hits, basically. But you have to literally be on the ball. And for a game where you are on top of everything, where you're like Diablo style kind of visual, like where your camera is, you can't do that. You cannot time it perfectly, especially for bosses, which are everything from a piece of cake to absolutely agonizingly frustrating. So there's no middle ground with the bosses. And yeah, it was an interesting 23 hours, I'll say. I mean, I didn't mind it too much at times like whenever the problem is is the weight between like the difference between the cutscene and the gameplay so i'd say cutscene wise this is like very visual novel there's hardly any um 3d cut cutscenes at all and even the ones that are i would say i don't like saying they're like ps3 graphics but you know the textures aren't quite good enough for a ps4 game okay. and faces are flat things like that and it's just like why like i don't know it just feels like everything ties up to be to be like it's a cheap sequel like this game was quite popular we managed to improve it with a um hd port to the ps4 which they did manage to improve but we won't do anything different apart from maybe tidy up a couple of things and 
make all the characters worse. So, yeah. So probably Seems... not the best uh, use of time, given all the other games that we have to play right now. Given all of the backlog games that I have, yeah. But Nippon I mean... love making these visual novel hybrids, but mm. like it really seems like action-oriented gameplay is just not their strong suit. I'm remembering um, this game that came out, I think, around the same time as the first Witch and Hundred Night Battle Princess of Arcadia's for uh-huh. PS3. Oh, I've heard of that. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, it looked like. Mm, it looked like something like Princess Crown or Dragon's Crown or or Guardian Heroes, and boy, it didn't play like any of those. It was <laughs> really, really stodgy, um, not fun um, side-scrolling action game. Yeah, that's the thing. I think we've had so many good like action-oriented RP- orientated RPGs and stuff. So yeah. I was thinking the whole all this wanted me to do, all this made me want to go and do is go and play an East game, which is kind of similar in the bit, not visual style, but the way that you look down on Adol. But the action combat in um, East is so much faster and so much smoother and yeah. there's no like rubbish around it and there's not right, really yeah. any fan service. It's fun. You don't have to wade through all the bad stuff to get to decent gameplay. Yeah. No, exactly. So that's a shame. Yeah. I I know that they also did um, Knights of Azure, right? At least NIS published, or was that Tecmo Koei? It was Tecmo Koei. That's a a Gust game, isn't it? My goodness. Yeah, it is. My bad. Totally different. Um, Well, another like similarly kind of gothic styled action RPG that wants to mesh some of those visual novel elements that didn't really do the best job. I think one was better than two, though, wasn't it? I haven't played two. I've reviewed both of them, and one is definitely <laughs> better than two. <laughs> but this is it's quite funny that you brought um, that up, because I did think about Knights of Azure 2 specifically when I was playing this, because I thought I sort of went in with kind of muted expectations anyway, because by the time I grabbed the code, some reviews were out, and I caught some, and I just thought, well, I'd seen the um like reception to the first game and was already a little bit like cautious um and when i started playing knights of Azure 2 immediately came to mind because it has got that same kind of action combat it's not it's not as fast as azure um, knights of azure um but yeah it's definitely it's just the fan service like knights of azure 2 had some but i can't deal with whiny whingy characters for like 20 hours and that's what i got with this i mean that's what I was just saying last episode about Atelier Lady and Sue L. Like, I was going to say, does Derek have a game for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have not played an Atelier game for, well, since the PS3 trilogy. And I am quite glad I've skipped um, the recent yeah. ones. But yeah, it does seem like Gust and Koei Tecmo and Nipponichi are just kind of, I don't know. They found their niche, but they'll just go with it and they won't bother improving it so Mm -hmm. that's how it feels yeah and there's no aspiration to do anything better than what they currently do which is disheartening because i know gust is better than this and i know i do know that nipponichi and nisa are better than this because disgaea was really good for a while and it's not my kind of thing but i know we have some big fans of the series on the site and i know what they're capable of so this is not what they not what they should be doing really that's a shame well there's always um literally everything else exactly (laughs) (laughs) well i'm sorry to hear about your experience with that but uh so i i wouldn't say that i've been necessarily disenfranchised with a lot of stuff i've been playing recently in fact i've been playing a lot of really good games recently but um you know a couple of especially bad ones lately so 
something that I've been dipping into more and more. Um, it's been my before bed game for the last couple of months. And over that period, I've only gotten about a good eight, maybe nine hours in it is Grandia, the first one. Um, hey. I've been playing it on my Vita as I tend to forget the Vita is an excellent machine for playing PS1 games. Um, that screen just pops with color. It's amazing. I, I do wish that there was a way to like make it natively widescreen with the same uh, aspect ratio. Well, not aspect ratio, but like the same pixel clarity. Like how in the 3DS you can... Well, this is not the same thing at all, but I'm going to say it anyway. On the 3DS, if you're playing an original DS game, you can hold down, what is it, like start or something to start a game up at the native resolution. So if you ever played an original DS game on your 3DS, you may have noticed that it was kind of blurry. Um, so the Vita does that with its emulated games where like, if you're playing at the largest size that fits the screen. It's going to be a little bit blurry. So I like to play it at the original aspect ratio. That being said, I wish, I guess I'm just saying like, I wish they remade this. Um, not mm -hmm. totally redid the graphics, graphical style, but like made it fit a widescreen format, kind of like how um, Trails in the Sky on PC went from fitting like the original 4.3 resolution to widescreen. Does that make sense? Right. So yes. I just yeah, might be able to see more of it. So anyway, the original Grandia, uh, it holds up, guys. I'm I'm really glad to say so. It features a lot of that. Like the writing is very much of its era, and I actually don't think that the like from a mechanical perspective, uh, well, like mechanics of grammar, I guess I'm trying to say, the the writing isn't always um, like crisp, clear, or correct. There are some kind of awkward, fumbly uh, ways that characters word things all the time in this game. But like it, it's it comes across fine nonetheless, because I think one of Grandia's greatest strengths has always been its inherent charisma. Like it's got heart mm -hmm. for days. And those dance yeah. scenes, great. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love those. They bring so much, like, so much intimacy to the relationships between the characters, and it gives you a little peek of a world that's like a fully rounded world where people have to do things like eat dinner, and it, it shows the characters stopping to take a breather and discuss what's going on in the story, and um, reminds me a little bit like of a Tales skit where they're discussing non-vital <laughs> things, but it still enriches them as characters. So, um. God, Grandia is just, it's still so good. Uh, I'm really happy with how it's held up uh, graphically. I still think it looks wonderful. Like Fenner was saying, it's got those sort of chunky 3D areas that are um, like almost stylistically still viable. Mm -hmm. I don't really know I've how to describe it. I've got such a soft spot for that style. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I remember actually when I first played Dragon Quest VII on PlayStation 1, I hated the environments because I thought that they were really ugly compared to other games that I was playing at the time, like, I don't know, FF7 and 8. And now I look at those and I, I do feel like they have some kind of odd charm that, that holds up in a certain under, under a certain lens. So Grandia... Grandia looks a little bit more charming than, than Dragon Quest Seven. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that too. <laughs> but it, it still, it holds up really well. Those character sprites are just amazing. They're so expressive and emotive the way that you'll see characters like react in surprise or um, when Fina and Justin do the high five and stuff like, oh my God, I can't get enough of it. And I think what makes Grandia so special is it it has, like I said, it has so much charisma and it seems to be of an era when we had a, a fair amount of games and RPGs that were really focused on telling these sort of pure adventure stories with characters who, oh, yeah. um, you know, like grow and they're just sort of earnest about what they're experiencing. Like, Skies of Arcadia, um, 
or God, what's another example? I'm trying to think of games in the era that did this kind of thing. I mean, like Trails in the Sky is the one that I keep coming back to, where you have these characters that um, have these really believable interactions, and you watch them, and they're going on this journey, and it's not like every five seconds uh, you need to have somebody jump in and be like, "Teehee, but what about my boobs?" It's just, and it's not just the fan service mm -hmm. thing, but it's like there's this co consistent and coherent and cohesive narrative and characterization of all the people in the story, and there are even there are wacky comic relief characters in Grandia, like. Early on, there is the guy. Oh my god, I already forgot his name because he's such a bozo. Um, he's the guy who's like the leader of the adventurer society. He inherited that it from guy? his. Oh. He inherited it from his grandpa, Gauss. Okay. So he's in, in the new world when you get to Alicia. Oh yeah. And uh, he like does the whole booster from Super Mario RPG thing where he's like, I'm gonna kidnap <laughs> Fina and marry her in the church. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's such like a raucous dork and a dingus, but he's not. Like, he doesn't have to pander to the now commonplace tropes that make characters, like, considered sleazy or gross. He's just kind of, like, an annoying dork. Um, I'm having a hard time explaining exactly what I mean, I guess. But it just sort of feels like there's a different He's kind of booster. energy. <laughs> right? There's a different energy that yeah. infuses the the writing in Grandia. So even if it's not always super, like, grammatically sound in every sentence, you know, like, it still reads in a charming way. Mm. Like those the recurring bosses, those three girls, the the Garlisle generals. Uh -huh. They um yeah, they they felt like like Project Echo villains, which I guess is like, you know, dating the game and dating me. But um yeah, this sort of very Yeah, they I, I remember them not being sexualized. It's been a long time since I've played it, but I remember them just being like goofy, but like you know, I guess like earnest and not quite ditzy, but just kind of nutty. Yeah. And yeah. wasn't there also a similar squad of characters in Xenogears? Oh, oh yeah, the, yeah, um, the elementals. Yes. So it's funny that those games share a, a very similar visual style, actually, and mm. have some of the same similarities in terms of like the overall mood conveyed by the script. And I, I'm not doing a very good job of like explaining that because it's, it's hard to say you know, oh, this game is great because it has charisma. And, and I, I'm guilty of saying that. And I'm not saying that that's a bad assessment necessarily because I'm keen to use it. But when you say that a game has charisma, it's kind of hard to explain. So I think that if you really want to nail it down, it comes to like how the characters in this game sort of breathe and interact with each other. And the like the freshness of the world and the... It's got like so much vitality. Um, all of the areas seem like they're really alive and in the very beginning of the story you watch, I mean, Justin is like a dork, let's be real, but he's, <laughs> he's a dork who's, you know, excited about exploring the new world. And he's just like, so gung ho about it. And you get to watch him like, you know, basically start to fulfill his dream and he gets on the ship. And there's, I actually think that that steamer steamboat sequence is really effective because of its length. Um, mm. You having to watch them scrub the decks every day in the little mini game. And it's like, you really feel like you're part of this long journey to a new place and there's no going back once you get there, at least not right away. Uh, well, what, one of my favorite sequences in probably any RPG ever is when, uh, when you, around the midway point of this game, when you reach the, the end of the world, the Great Wall, and you're climbing to scale like this 
this this wall that separates separates the world into and it's just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet and you're really making like this arduous climb and um fighting all these these crazy monsters and then you know like having to stop halfway up to have dinner in camp on the side of this on the side of this stone wall and it, it just it feels so it really feels like a big turning point um it, it really sets that um the feel of of discovery and going off into like this taboo unknown it really achieves that very very effectively in a, in a way that i feel that few other rpgs have yeah i think it contributes to the sense of scale which is maybe what i was getting at in terms of like oh we're going on the voyage we have to go all the way across the sea to the new continent it's this mm. new world it's quote unquote new world that's unfamiliar to justin and sue and then you explore sort of further beyond that and you keep probing and pushing and you get to the end of the world and there's this beautiful cinematic sequence of like you know them up at the top of the wall with the sun rising over the horizon like i think that's one of the most iconic scenes in an rpg that will forever be burned into my memory that's that image of them at the top of the wall yeah um and then of course like spoilers i guess for uh, a game that's how old at this point 20 something years uh, the, <laughs> yeah, 97 the yeah yeah, yeah, when Sue leaves, it's so emotional. Like, yeah. Oh gosh, and like the whole thing leading up to Sue leaving, mm -hmm. um, like having to do that quest to like get the get this this teleportation device that only works once, and and you know like she gets ill, and you end up you know wasting it. To, well, not wasting it. You end up using it to send her home, and then you have to like find find your way through the world without this magical tool. Mm -hmm. Oh man, just. I'm I'm so happy with Grandia. I'm glad that it's held up as well as it has, and um, I would love to see this re-released on something like Steam, like I said, with the whole widescreen ratio or something, because I would gladly pick it up again. I mean, we do have Grandia two on Steam, which is which is excellent. I'm very happy that they did that, and I may actually jump back into that when I'm finished with this. But yeah, um, combat still holds up. You know, it was a progenitor of that interesting sort of like turn-based actiony system that they did. That they went on to the the system that was so good they created an entire spinoff game where Mark Hamill voiced the main character. Oh, <laughs> yeah, forgot about that. Oh, Grandia Extreme. Good combat, not so good everything else. But <laughs> I think a good word to describe Grandia is whimsical and innocent. Like there yeah. is, a, it's so pure. Like you said, it's sheer. Just one fourteen-year-old boy decides he's going to go out on an adventure because his dad did it. Or is, is he going to find him, or is he just going to find? It's been a few years since I've played it's, it. As it's well. both. He's his dad yeah. did it, so he like wants to know if his dad is still out there, and then he's just going on the adventure because that's what he feels like he has adventurer's blood. So like that's what he wants to do. Yeah, mm. exactly. And things happen as he goes along. So he's just going on this big grand adventure, and then he realizes his dad is actually trying to find some kind of secret that will save the world. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, he gets I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets embroiled in obviously the three girls and Emperor Garlisle, whatever his name is, and he gets embroiled in this big tussle. But like everything happens and he just kind of takes it in his stride and he grows. And Sue spends a lot of the early game crying and things like that, but she's quite bossy as well. And she develops. So, like you've said, when she goes, it's kind of like the big, oh God, like Justin's only got Fina, who he met along the way. Mm -hmm. And they have grown really close. But Sue is quite a big part of Justin's character. And when he goes, he feels like he really has to step up because obviously, I mean, he obviously likes Fina and he wants to impress her. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's this big grand adventurer who's done really cool things and is a really cool character. Um, but yeah, I just, 
I think you like charisma is right and so is like whimsical and everything but Grandia just puts a big smile on my face and I think that's the only way I can describe it because at the same time there was this trend of like uh, I think I've used uh, this comparison a couple of times like darker mature storylines and it's not that's to cool. say that Grandia is <laughs> it's not to say that Grandia is not mature because Justin goes through a really nice character development arc um, and he does grow up into this kind of adventurer and saves the world spoilers but he it's like there's just something so nice about playing a game that makes you feel like justin and feel like a kid going outside for the first time and going out to a new country or finding something and you don't think anybody else has found it before and it just i say i played two before one so going back to one but like the first time i played it was three years ago um i was really surprised to see how tonally different it was and I would probably say one's maybe held up a little bit better than two because two's a little cheesy anime. This is not so yeah. much. This one's definitely got some kind of heart in it. I mean, I love Grindit 2 a lot anyway. But Yeah, one's kind of got the Studio Ghibli vibe going for yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. The way that... How you were talking about it, it's it's just... Um, it's, it's got a lot of charisma, Derek. I, I think, like... It's charming without feeling like it's especially trying too hard. And, like, it's not really doing anything new in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, doing that sort of nitty-gritty, um, okay, here's a very traditional quest, but we're going to get very granular. And, yeah, it, it you know, it's charismatic in the same way that, that Trails in the Sky is, as you said. And, yeah, Alana, I would agree that, you know, talking about games trying to be darker and edgier, I think like Grandia Two might be one of those games to a degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's pretty silly, but it's also like, um, you know, Ryudo being this angst boy <laughs> character. Melkis all in Pokemon reuniting to save yeah. the world. Leonardo himself, Cam Clark. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned the I a thing that I wanted to bring up because you were talking about the the charisma once again and like the the more lighthearted vibe is i love that grandia has so much dialogue in npcs where the characters in your party talk back yeah it's, it's not yeah, just like you go up to somebody and they're like you know welcome to corneria they say like welcome to corneria have you sampled our super spicy curry and then justin's like spicy curry i bet an adventurer could handle that and sue's like no no justin <laughs> you're such a whiny baby last time you had spicy curry you know what i mean like every time that it is, happens sorry go that ahead. is that is totally a, a, a trademark of the late Takeshi Miyagi because um, the Lunar games were very much like that as well. Yeah. And I think that contributes to so much depth of character because it's not just that you're playing these, as these people who only conveniently have stuff to say about the important issues and the, you know, scenes the game, the game deems important enough to be like cutscenes. It's that they're reacting to everything around them constantly. And also this game has like three text boxes per, or, you know, three different, continuations of the dialogue per NPC you talk to, and it changes after major events, just like Trails in the Sky. So I think um, if I, like, that's one of my RPG kinks, like, oh yeah, you have NPCs that have reactive dialogue? Oh yeah, hook me I up. I love in-game to do that, because uh, there's, there's so many NPCs in games where you just talk to them and they say, like, something inane, and it's like, well, I just wasted a button press talking to you. Thanks for that. So... Mm. Yeah, I, I get frustrated. That's something that I come down on pretty hard when I'm, you know, critiquing games is when they have maybe like an interesting um, world setup, but they don't have anything compelling happening in the world. Like, I'm going to be a jerk and just bring it up because it's a convenient example is uh, at Lear, Lydia, and Suelle. 
atelier, whatever. Uh, you know, like I said, the, you can go into these paintings. The whole like main conceit of the game is, oh, the twins can enter mysterious paintings that are these other worlds and stuff. Um, cool, that's fine. I like the idea of entering a painting because that gives you space to play with an environment that's like not possible in the quote unquote real world, even though it's an RPG, like they could have it be so outlandish and so different. And it's like, all right, I would love to explore that. But those areas generally in the game are pretty bland and uninspired and they're not populated by anything compelling. Like there are no characters. Right. There's a couple of characters here and there who appear in them. Like there's a pirate guy and one of them, a skeleton and like a little girl who lives in the volcano area. But they're not that interesting, and it's not like there's these entire vibrant civilizations and cultures living within each painting where I can talk to somebody and get a feel for what life would be like in this biome or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and same it's with just the a coat of paint. Yeah, the the towns like the main town in uh, Lydia and Suell is just like a seaside town, and NPCs say nothing of import whatsoever. Like, oh, I went shopping today. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. You know, Obasa around the corner. I don't care if you bought radishes on sale. Like, that's not interesting to me. Unless Yes, and? Yeah, yes, and. Unless there's, you know, an interaction to be set around it. Like, I'm, I'm all for the granular details and conversations about things that maybe aren't contributing to the overall plot, but that develop the characters. But there has to be something to it. Like, you can't just have an NPC sitting there saying, like, the breeze is nice today. Okay. Like, sure, I'm sure it is, but unless there's something, you know, if the characters want to have a, a discussion about it or, like, have something silly get brought up or whatever, I don't know. So, not to continue picking on that game too much, but Grandia is wonderful, I think, because of how it, it infuses small interactions with so much um, character and life and personality and the way that it imparts this sense of adventure without ever feeling like it's, like Fenner said, maybe trying too hard or, or false or disingenuous. It's just like a... a a real adventure. God, I love Grandia. I'm happy that I decided to replay it. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Thanks for playing. It just it. makes the world feel alive, I guess, to that. It does. Point. So yeah. that's great. So if uh, any of you listening want to pick it up, it's on the store for PlayStation Vita, or you can play it on a PS3 as well. It's like seven bucks or something, or maybe 10. I don't remember. It's cheap. I bought it for a very go. It's six bucks. I'm okay, cool. uh, kind yeah. of, Eyeing it now. <laughs> oh my god, the soundtrack oh, yeah. still so good, still so yes. good. Oh, um, it was alright. Fully orchestrated too, um, which was pretty unusual for the era. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, sounds super, super good. Especially that main theme. That will always be like it'll get its hooks in me the moment I start hearing that, that those opening notes. And I think they even included it in video games live. Like over the years, the theme of Grandia has popped up mm. here and there. Yeah, it's also oh. the bit of music I hear when I see the wall. Scene mm-hmm. that I was talking about. Yeah. They're like, I this. do I want to buy it and play on Vita tonight? Mm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that, uh, funny enough, there was actually some tweets. There's the official Game Arts Twitter account, and they've been posting up about some Japan game music festival. And I don't, I, I don't remember exactly what the details were, but like they played some Grandia stuff. And uh, it just oh. makes me long for something like, you know, maybe like a new Grandia album. Um, much like, Xenogears had something similar Ooh. happen to it. Ooh, that was clever. Yeah, That's so... For you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for pointing it out. That made it so much more organic. Um, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's 2018, guys. That means Xenogears has been out for 20 years now. Yeah. It's hard to believe. It's one of the most iconic RPGs Square Enix has ever created. Um, it continues to inspire an entire line of Xeno things to this day, which, you know, have 
sort of waxed and waned in their quality at times. But um, you know, Zeno is is now a prolific franchise, and Zeno Gears was the start of it. So Stand we're tall and rip off Evangelion, and <laughs> yeah. and shake the heavens uh, before you're done. Yeah. So like, Zeno Gears is is a a really iconic game, and so for the 20th anniversary, Square Enix decided to do this um, music related celebration. Now there are two parts to it. There is the Xeno Gears Revival Disc that just released about a week ago in Japan. And it's one of their Blu-ray releases where you pop it into your Blu-ray player and you get to watch all of these scenes from the game uh, against music. And all the music is like appropriately cued to wherever in the game that thing might have happened. Now, that's a pretty cool way to sort of recap yourself on the events of Xeno Gear if it's been, excuse me, Xeno Gears, if it's been forever since you played it like it has been for me. Um, although all the event scenes on the Blu-ray are in Japanese text, so um, you can probably still get a sense for what's happening, especially if you've played the game. You'd be like, "Ah, oh, yes, I remember that." Um, so this revival disc came out, and uh, I kind of wished it would have been um, an arrangement of the soundtrack. So what it is is it's just all of the original tracks from the soundtrack in higher bit rate. So I heard the word arrangement bandied about quite a bit before this released, and it's not an arrangement. It's like just higher quality versions of what you've already heard. Like it's not even different instrumentation. It's just the same tracks. Um, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fantastic soundtrack. So I'm not complaining yeah. about being able to hear it again. That's wonderful. The soundtrack, the excuse me, the revival disc, what it does include are four bonus tracks. And this is what I was really aching to hear. I was like, you know, counting the days until I could order a copy of this disc and stuff. Um, somebody ended up ripping the tracks and putting them on YouTube, which I was very grateful for. But these are by... Anunia, they're performed by Anunia, which is the, gosh, are they Celtic? They're like a choir yes. ensemble? Yeah, they're a Celtic choir from Ireland, so yeah. Okay, great. So Mitsuda has previously sourced them. I didn't realize this. Alana, was it you who said that they, they did the choir stuff for Xenoblade 2? Yes, they did. Okay, great. So Mitsuda's continuing to use this choir that he's worked with before, and they're very, very talented. These four bonus tracks on the Xenogears Revival disc... Um, I don't really know how to describe them as uh, we were talking pre-show. They're just kind of churchy. And if you're, if you like hymns, then you'll probably enjoy these. I was actually really let down by these four tracks because they just kind of sound like, um, I mean, there's no like music surrounding them really. There's, there are some tunes from the game. I think one of them is supposed to be October Mermaid, but or maybe small of two pieces. I can't remember, but but they're just kind of like choir covers of the songs that don't. Um, the the performances are beautiful and skilled, and that that choir is very very talented. But I was hoping for something more than just like four songs in the exact same style. Um, yeah. that covering things I've already heard. So, um, those were a little bit of a letdown for me. I would say if you can find them, you could still listen to them because they're certainly not bad songs. But I definitely was hoping for something a little bit different. Um, more importantly, I think is to coincide with the release of the soundtrack. I think it's more like the soundtrack or the revival disc was the afterthought, if you want to call it that. And this is the main attraction. The main attraction is they had a Xenogears 20th anniversary concert in Japan. Oh my God. Oh, that was amazing. Oh yeah. It's um, incredible. I mean, when I was, well, there was a rip of it online and I watched most of the concert and I saw Mitsuda smile halfway through and he was like, yeah, I've done this good. And I was like, you've done it good. I'm so happy. <laughs> you've done it good. You sure oh, did. Yeah. Oh, man. So special. Yes. Hearing I hope that music, we'll get that released. 
Yeah, I would love for them to do. I would much rather have a an MP3, you know, recording of this concert than I would the revival disc at this point. Now that I know what's on it, mm, um, man, they they really went all out with this. So I I saw a ton of buzz for this on Twitter, and I heard about it, and it was one of those like, man, if only I was in Japan to go to this because this is kind of a once in a lifetime thing. I feel like, um, and they did it over the course of a weekend, so there were several performances, like maybe four. Um, but uh, so much positive buzz in the timeline. It was amazing. They did like a little art exhibit outside of the venue or, or whatever, within the venue outside of the concert hall mm-hmm. where they were showing off um, original art cells. The original illustrator drew a 20th anniversary little sketch to celebrate it with the cast. Super cute. Mm-hmm. They were selling lots of art and other merch. Um, I have a friend who actually got to go to it. And it's this is a very oh. indulgent little anecdote. But I have a friend who I, I made when, God, I was in... I must have been like a senior in high school just going into getting ready to go to college. And I had this friend, I had, I was hanging out with older kids at the time. And one of my friends had this classmate who moved to Arizona from Maine to like do the Japanese program at the university of Arizona. And we were, we got introduced and we were hanging out as, you know, raucous teenagers do. We were at like a village in at one in the morning, uh, drinking too much coffee and eating crappy pancakes. And this girl and I were just like, we were talking to each other and one of us mentioned the name Xenogears. Like, oh yeah, I, I was playing this game called Xenogears. And the other was like, what? Xenogears? You've played Xenogears? And it launched us into this entire, you know, discussion back and forth about the characters. And like, it was really in depth. And I hadn't really talked to anybody at that point in my life who had played Xenogears, at least not to that degree. So we became close friends and like, we're still friends to this day. She's in the military and she moved to Japan. She's stationed there. And uh, she like sent me all of these like pictures of the event and stuff. And she tells me how she'll always remember that our friendship started over Xenogears. And 20 years Aww, later, she's cute. at this concert. Yeah, she got like the music box that came with the Solaris VIP seats. Um, she sent me all this video and stuff. And I was just, I was so moved because I mean, Xenogears is an incredible game that I have very fond memories of, but it also sort of like ties into that personal memory for me. So mm-hmm. um, she said the concert was like, Mind blowing. She said it was one of the coolest things she's ever done in her entire life. So uh, I'm confident. Yeah. Um, So it's a shame. Sorry, you were saying. That's good. I I would just. I was just going to reiterate. I would love it if a recording of this would come out because I think this is the real star attraction. Here is the concert recording. Now, did you and Alana both watch the rip video of it, or just you, Alana? I I did. I watched not all of it from start to finish, but I watched a good amount of it. And you may have seen, I made a corny tweet the other day about how like being moved to tears by a performance. Oh, it was a hundred percent that. <laughs> oh definitely yeah, definitely. That. It's something really special because Xeno Gears, the soundtrack is so good. But I think one of my favorite tracks in the game is Bonds of Sea and Flame. And the rearrangement for that track is so ridiculously good. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. And I did have this moment when, I think even when Dark Daybreak started, which is the opening cinematic music, and they started off the concert with that, where the spaceship's going through, and it's like, oh no, space alien. It's not space alien, it's God. But um, yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Who is an alien? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, I saw the whole thing again in my head, because I watched bits of it, I kind of had it on in the background as I was doing some work, and I don't know, I was just like, wow. I mean, I am, I've only played Xenogears two years ago on one of our sister podcasts and I had some fun tweeting about it at the time and I strangely just fell in love with it and this 
concert reminded me of why why I fell in love with it because sure it's really clunky as hell and it's not aged very well but there's nothing else like it and Square mm-hmm. have never ever come close to anything like it and this concert is just a reminder that like Xenogears was different but also as unfinished and as unpolished as it was it's still very important to a lot of people and it deserves to be celebrated really and I really want a recording of this concert yes. and I think they must do it because it's so good. It's really oh my god. Good. At least a DVD release, maybe. Yeah, something. Of the concert I mean, itself. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, they have the the system in place because they were selling a premium ticket to this to watch the stream online through mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like Nico Nico or whatever whatever service they were using. So they they had you know cameras positioned and shooting the event in such a way that it was made to be watched via video the audio accordingly. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they could easily just create a, a disc of it. Or sell it. I mean, even if they just did a, you know, a digital movie through iTunes or something, I would buy that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was asking why you did, uh, about the, just because, is it in the same vein as a lot of um, popular touring video game concert shows these days? Like, where did they show gameplay from the game? Or was it strictly about they the did. music with just some biting yeah. effects? No, they okay. just some gameplay. Or some gameplay, yeah. That's always been a pet peeve of mine especially with a lot of the JRPG soundtracks, how we, they get so many great concerts in Japan that never, never leave, like Dramatica, um, to mm-hmm. name one. Uh, there was uh, a few of the... It took a while for Distant Worlds, I think, to get out, too. I'm yeah. glad it finally did. And there's another one I can't think of that I think was also... Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they constantly did Dramatica. Like, I think they did a, didn't they do a Fire Emblem one at some point? Um, I think so. I don't know. I always hear yeah. about like such and such, you know, orchestral music festival, and I'm like, <gasps> in Japan, yeah. like, oh. right? And it's just, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's just unfortunate, and it's just a question of is there, they just don't trust that there's the market for it when they well, see successful I mean, stories out there like video games live and Symphony of the Goddesses and Pokemon well, Symphonic and such. Yeah, they're starting to do some though because we're getting the Kingdom Hearts Orchestra as well as um, Eorzean Symphony, which is actually going to be Ooh. in LA the week of E3. Mm. Oh, amazing! Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm well. Unfortunately for me, very selfishly, I'm flying back the uh, morning of that show, so I I can't <laughs> oh, go to it because I'm uh, moving the next day. But yeah, I oh my god, I I would love to see that. I yeah, that'd be incredible. I did get to go to uh, the Pokemon Symphonies one. That was pretty. Oh, fun. you did? It was yeah, a great show. Nice. My my roommate works at um DeVos Hall um here in Grand Rapids and he got us tickets for Christmas. So. Oh my god, nice. Nice. that was a lot of fun. They did a they did like a live sing along version of the uh, of um um the, the theme song. Theme, yeah, I, I want to be the very best. Oh man, <laughs> they also did a. It was great. A sing along of um the theme song at the end of X and Y. I thought too. I think when I saw it, they did they did that as well. Yeah, that was the it was that like was, little... it was like the ending, like the close out, um, which was yeah. pretty they um, also attributed it to um, no uh, for X and Y the video or maybe it is a TV series. No, that was the video game. There was just that like there's that really soft song. That song is that the one that plays with the really tall guy and the flower? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it was extra sad because they dedicated it to the now past Nintendo president. I am forgetting all my names right now. Yeah, they did not sleep enough. Dedicated to Iwata. Thank you. Yes, my brain was too many Japanese names that I'm not retaining right now. I apologize. It's, okay. it's all the it's all the maple syrup coursing through your veins. It makes it kind of hard. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, this isn't I even my battle form. I would I would um, watch a DVD of the Xenogears concert in a heartbeat because I, I yeah. haven't played the game in years, but I do love the music and um, I enjoyed the Myth album, the uh, the orchestral album they did. You know, what Creed or Myth? There's myth. two. Yeah. I, two in the um, I prefer Creed, which is the earlier one. I think it's Creed is amazing. amazing. Yeah, Creed is absolutely incredible. But I'll check check it out then, because yeah, I don't think I've heard that one, but um. Hmm. Um, I do remember uh, I, I had a friend in college too. This is this isn't quite as good as Derek's story, but um, there's a friend of mine in creative writing class who um named her laptop Welltall, and um, <laughs> okay. I found this out, and I'm just like, "You played Xenogears? Yeah, Xenogears is like one of the best games ever." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. I feel like Xenogears is one of those games. I mean, it's not like the most niche game ever, but no, it's I not. Think... But it's still pretty cool when you like. <laughs> In terms of 90s console RPGs, it's a pretty esoteric one. Well, it is. I was just going to say that the sort of the people who have played Xenogears to completion and overall enjoyed it, even if they, you know, have criticisms like the pacing and stuff. Generally, I, I find more. that, yeah, like when I talk to people about it who, who have played it, like they feel strongly about it. So there's always at least a conversation to be had. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't really know anybody who was like Xenogears. I played it, but I don't really remember anything about it. Like, <laughs> it's wow. pretty pretty memorable. <laughs> yeah. I will confess, I have never played it since I came to PlayStation late in the game. But I still can remember media and imagery and stuff from it. And yeah, even I could say like that stood out as something that's not like anything else that I've seen mm -hmm. in that era, or not as much since. Like, um, obviously now I've played Xenoblade Chronicles. And I can see where that all lies and where it kind of came from. But yeah, at its time, there was really nothing else that stood out in the same way. Yeah, so Xenogears is a special game, and I'm glad that it got the 20th anniversary celebration that it was due. Um, maybe for their next step, they could release, you know, I would love to have a version of this playable on my PS4. That would be cool. I mean, you know, again, yeah, the, the PS1 games on Vita, that's that's all well and good. That's great. Um, if I could get something along the lines of like the Trails in the Sky treatment on PS4 or Steam, that would be impeccable. So and I could make this game a worldwide release because to this day it's never been released in Europe. Really? No, yeah. we've never really? we never got it. So yeah. you know, American that's why you only played it a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah you have to get it on the American PSN, and you can't even get it on the on, oh, the, wow. on the UK PSN marketplace. What? I didn't know. I guess there's some sort of rights and rules yeah. aging back. Yeah, you guys have so many more Square Enix games than we do over here on PSN. I'm trying to yeah. think of like one. Well, I mean, you no guys. Threads of Fate for us. The music yeah. is so good for that. I remember uh, Breath of Fire 3 on PSP. We did not get here physically, so yes. I imported a disc for it, and then they released yeah. it on the PSN anyway. Yeah, oh. you didn't get the uh, Tales of Eternia on PSP either, did you? And that's oh, not even right. at all. So you got it on PS1 before we did, but... Yeah, yeah as we, Tales of Destiny yeah, we, 2. Yeah. got that PS1 port. Mm -hmm. I mean, Xeno's been pretty shafted in Europe anyway, because... Well, apart from Xenoblade Chronicles, which we got first, yeah, somehow. there was just Xeno Saga <laughs> two and not yeah. one or three, wasn't there? That was we got weird. the worst Xeno Saga game, and yeah. then we got Xenoblade Chronicles first. So they were like, "I'm really sorry. Here you go." <laughs> and then I still didn't play it until it had been out for over a year. But, oh no! Yeah, I uh, I imported and altered my Wii to play that game, um, Xenoblade <laughs> One. So I hear a word there. Did you yeah. do something? And which it's be now, censored. It's now bricked, by the way. So that's that's, that's my penance. 
Oh, but it was <laughs> it was worth it for Xenoblade. Yeah, I mean, oh. I only like it enough to have a Monado on my arm, and I had the Zohar on my other arm. Oh my god, I just yes, you do. I love it. I just realized that the symmetry. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm proud Derek, of past me. Derek You're supreme being now. Omega, the beginning, the end, <laughs> and the end. Oh my god. Oh, what a day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah. Well, cheers to Xenoblade. I'm glad that everybody had some fond memories of it, even those of us who haven't played it. So I, I look forward to more Xeno stuff in the future. And I'm, I'm even like curious about what's going to happen with the Xenoblade 2 DLC because I I have the season pass. So I, I am kicking myself because every time I bought a season pass, it has bit me in the ass. And what, you know, FF15 and now this, both times I feel like they're sort of just games that I wasn't fully in love with, but... That's okay. I'm excited to see what they end up doing in the future anyway. So speaking of Final Fantasy 15, I wanted to touch upon a question that we got from a reader. With all of the Final Fantasy 15, um, you know, hubbub, we've got what, the Royal Edition, we've got the, I mean, the stuff in the Royal Pack, and then there's a new Royal Edition, which now we know isn't even the final form of the game, much like Greg's not in his final form. You know, Final Fantasy 15 continues to be updated, so it's it's a fair question to wonder, like, should I play it now? Uh, who Billy was the reader? E, Sorry? Yeah, it was Billy E. who wrote in, and he asked, as somebody who liked but didn't love Final Fantasy 15 when he beat it shortly after launch, do you think that all the extra content available right now, plus the upcoming Arden stuff, makes it worth playing through again? My main issue with the game was storytelling. I was intrigued by it, but everything felt so rushed, and some things just weren't explained at all. Since Agreed. that email came in, I think we got the, the formal sort of outline for what's happening with FF15's DLC. It's called, what, Dawn of a New Age era? It's something like that? Dawn of, the, Dawn of the Future or something. Okay, Dawn of the Future. Got to have a have a chapter Noctis to look forward to and see how uh, he plays. Yeah, God, <laughs> who's Noctis? Like, really? Who's Noctis? Who's not, like, did we, oh, just, yeah. I would really love if it was just a complete change up and it goes into like, um, you know, Kuni 2's like kingdom mode where he's just running the stuff after he's become king again. It's just going okay. to flip it on its head. That it's would be quite interesting. Trimming his facial hair God. like a deadly premonition. <laughs> Peter, we do not speak the name of that mobile game. <laughs> <laughs> That's it is. They get they bring back the PlayStation move and you just try and shave your face as not. No. That's all the game. That's Ooh, all the chapter. Yes. Yeah. They'll do that, and then they'll bring back uh, the pocket station where you'll put Noctis and the guys in the car and take the car with you in your pocket station on the go and no. have them go recruit citizens around EOS. It's, so it's like it's like a Pokey Walker, but for uh, Final Fantasy XV. And it's but it's the regalia, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of into that <laughs> idea, actually. That's um, quite I think you've done it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, so Final Fantasy XV has now, we know, it has DLC episodes that will continue well into 2019 there are four of them coming out and the first one doesn't debut until 2019 so like oh my god um i it's hard for me to approach discussion of this game with a level head because my my knee-jerk reaction is just just kill it just let it die i'm so done but but i recognize that those those feelings are the result of like this sort of hyperbolized idea that I've created internally of FF15 and what it means to me and what it was when it came out. So like the problem that I have with FF15 is that I don't think anybody can argue and it, I would love to hear a counter argument, I guess. I guess I would. I don't really want to hear a counter argument because I think I'm right. <laughs> is that is that <laughs> Final it, Fantasy folks. Final Fantasy 15 was not done when it came out. Like yeah, they and they it's still not done. I think that right. is fair to say. 
they obviously had ideas that were left on the cutting room floor. And I think that the fact that they tried to, I feel like they tried to sell it to us as a complete experience in the first place. And now they're backpedaling on it so much that it's like, what am I to do? I have said this on the podcast before. I've already had my first experience with that game and I can't unhave it. Mm -hmm. So for them to rewrite the story so thoroughly and add in so much of this extra, I mean, they're filling in plot holes for one, which is like, if you're going to fill in a pothole, that's that's okay. But it seems kind of like with this dawn of whatever, that they're kind of looking to rewrite the story a bit. So yeah. plot's not very good anyway. But, yeah. but I mean, like, what is that supposed to say to the person, me, the person who bought, and not just me specifically, but I'm putting myself in the shoes of anybody who bought the game at launch. What does that say to the consumer who bought and played Final Fantasy 15 to completion and thought that they achieved what was the final ending of the game? And they're like, okay, maybe they'll fill in stuff in the middle. Now they're expanding on it so substantially that it's like a different game. Yeah, um, the stuff in the middle I can buy. Like, I think I've managed to dodge most of the DLC because I think, like, Derek, I mean, I like the game probably more than most people do, but I've definitely had my fill of it and would say, you know, I'm happy with what I've played, but I know it's not finished and I'm unsatisfied with certain things. Like, the girl, all the female characters suck, and that is the fault mm. of the writers. The game is literally Noctis, 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 Noctis. And Noctis is a really interesting character. But I would love to know more about Iris or like Ignis or Prompto. And the DLC, the first three episodes do that. And I haven't played all of them. And I played Ignis because I care about Ignis because he had some kind, I don't know. He was just, there was something about him that I really mm -hmm. liked. And I, I think his was the best episode. His was I'll the agree. best episode. You hated um, it? I also don't like it. <laughs> Um, I think it's got the right amount of gravitas and it does fill in the right kind of plot holes in that. But I really... And then my issue with the next sort of DLC is very similar. Episode Noctis, which we've already alluded to, is going to rewrite the ending. Episode mm -hmm. Ignis has already rewritten the ending yes, and given an exactly. alternate ending that I didn't like. I was yes. kind of oh out gosh, of the Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> out of you the didn't whole... know about this? No, no I didn't know about that either. Okay, episode... so... Well, oh, we yeah. should probably refrain from spoiling it too thoroughly. But yeah, so like when I first approached episode Ignis, what it has is um, you, you play through it and there is a, a super binary choice at towards the end that's like ridiculous and you would never choose one over the other normally. And one of the one of them is locked out um, until you beat it. After you beat it and get the ending, then you can replay episode Ignis and make the other decision to like lead to an alternate future. And I appreciate sort of like the the possibility of it is like oh this is a you know a fun what if scenario but yeah. that ending felt i mean it's it's like very clearly geared to be the happy ending that people wanted like it it um retconned some certain characters fates well i mean it's like but it's so overtly happy that it's almost like mm. yeah i mean um, i can vouch because i have friends sorry i'll let them i'll keep butting in over peter um I have a friend who wanted, she hated the ending, the normal ending for 15. And I probably think that the ending of Final Fantasy 15 is probably the strongest part of the entire plot or one of the better parts at the very least. Because it's <laughs> over. No, no. <laughs> no, I but like, it's got some like, there's finally like a reason or like, yeah. Feels like the culmination of everything. Like, there's still issues along the way, but I feel I was happy with it. And I don't feel like this happy ending that they inserted in or happy air quotes kind of thing is, I didn't feel comfortable with it. Like I've had my experience with the game. Yeah. If it had been like 
a multiple choice ending, like say Mass Effect's got different endings and things like that, then I would have been fine with it. But it's this kind of, you know, Square are going, oh, hey, here's a new ending for you because I feel like you want it. And then they go, oh, but here's another ending for yes. you like a year and a half later. And it's like, right. I don't, I've got no reward. There's no reward out of it because I've already got mm. the one conclusion. If I knew this would happen, then obviously I would have maybe had a different approach. But when I played the game, the game had an ending, which, you know, the middle, the whole of the, you know, the start and the begin end were fine. The middle was like a big squiggly drawing, and I don't really know or care about a lot of what happens. Um, game. But, yeah, like, I no, don't want, I yeah, I don't want my experience to shift, and it's, it's really leaving a sour taste in my mouth, like, even for Episode Ignis, which had a stupid boss fight at the end which i hate so much um for lack of kind of nice expressive words it's pretty but, annoying yeah, yeah. I, uh, annoying. I, I honestly kind of liked that fight but <laughs> i uh, uh i re- I, re- I reviewed two out of the three dlc episodes for rpg fan and i'm kind of of the opinion that as far as the plot holes in the story that needed to be filled are they do about as good a job as they can and that was probably really all they should have done yeah. Um, other than because uh, my thing is my thing with this new slate of DLC is obviously okay. Some of it sounds kind of interesting. Like, hey, we're going to do Arden's backstory. Okay, sure, that's cool. I'd maybe rather play a new game instead of another add-on to the existing one. But sure, um, I don't give a flying rip about the new ending stuff. I think the original ending to fifteen is like you said, Alana. I think it's one of the better parts of the game. I honest legit think the campfire scene at the end is one of the best is like thematically it's the only thing the game was building up to that point it nails the tone between the four of them doesn't it and then any Mm -hmm. other kind of conclusion kind of rips Mm -hmm. all of that apart i think they nail the tone to those characters of the sense that sense of brotherhood and camaraderie that kind of ability to i know nick wrote an article about this for the website that kind Mm -hmm. of expression of uh male bonding and brotherhood yes. and friendship that uh, it's, it's territory that games don't explore very often. And I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think this slate of new DLC, at least the way they're writing it is that they want to retcon the ending and write in like, let's do this happy future. And we're going to bring Noctis back to life and do something. And I'm just over here. Like this just cheapens the brand. If they can like, if if they come out with a game and then two years later they can just be like, oh, never mind, we're changing the story. Like, what kind of precedent does that? And what was set? the story well, that I experienced in the first place? Well, it's yeah. like, where, what happened where, to Final Fantasy X? Where is the artistry? You know, yeah, where is exactly. where is your appreciation for this work that you put out? And maybe it wasn't perfect, but like, you know, why go back and it's like you know, it's like George Lucas doing his remasters, but to the extreme because yeah, it's, it's being transformed like- in such a ridiculous way. Art, art, game, game. When a game is released, and for for all its faults, we just talked about Xenogears. Xenogears is not a finished game either, but they they didn't they didn't go and I mean they couldn't, but it's not like they released like a whole bunch of supplementary like we released Xeno, uh, additional discs of Xenogears that fill in those <laughs> playable gaps. But they just put out that insane ultimate ultimate yeah yeah I love that book. yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's it's one of those things where like I uh, I look at fifteen now and it's like I feel like they're they're taking the the amount there it, there is it's admirable that they're trying to take player feedback 
but there is a such thing as taking too much feedback into account. Yeah. yeah. I think and they're just doing it because they can. Yeah. yeah. Because it's profitable, probably. Well, yeah. yeah. Definitely. They've it would have got... not have been profitable for Xenoblade to try and do it back in the day with all the sorry, uh, with all sorry, Xenogears, uh, yeah. with all with trying to release extra discs and stuff. Just... Like they may as well, yeah, just move on to a sequel because that'll generate so, bit more money. So they've got their DLC. They've already released a Game of the Year edition with all of that, haven't they? Did that come yes. out in like yeah, with, with an extra dungeon as well on top of another sequence? Yeah. In so <laughs> so like late 2019, early 2020, there's going to be like another Game of the Year edition, no doubt, collecting yeah. all of the all of the DLC. Probably Game of the Year version two. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Which, by the way, I'm calling it now. It's going to be called Ultima Edition. Oh, I can't see anything. Uh, um, yeah. So I mean, I guess. Like if I was to answer, if I was to take a stab at answering Billy E's uh, question, I'd say like, I guess if you absolutely feel like you need to see everything this game has to offer, I mean, like, I guess wait, but like your experience is going to be way different than hmm. any of the uh, discourse and, and that was surrounding it. And I mean, like, if you're okay with that, that's okay. But like, Personally, like I played Final Fantasy 15 like the month that it came out. I didn't play any of the DLC and I really enjoyed my time with it. I mean, the last the last half of the game, not so much, but <laughs> like I pretty much had all that I could stand and it wasn't a complete experience, but I was like largely satisfied with that experience. But like, I don't know, I guess it's just how much can you stand? And I can't imagine, I can imagine that this work is going to be transformative, but I can't really imagine it. It's going to be, you know, you know, as I said before, particularly artful or groundbreaking. Um, it seems, mm, I don't know, like bloat. They're just I revising. Would, yeah. Yeah. I guess unless they, I mean, unless it reads totally differently in terms of like, if they totally redo gameplay in some way or, Something I, I doubt that's the case because I think they have to build it upon this existing sort of skeleton. But, yes. um Yeah, it's just the the fact that we already kind of got our one our one ending, and then they sort of proposed even an alternate ending that was very much just oriented at people who wanted something happier. And then we're getting sort of a third revision. It's it seems like too much to me. It seems like a waste of effort, better spent elsewhere. And um, I'm personally very fatigued. And I also overall enjoyed my time with Final Fantasy 15. I just think that this is like, it's enough is enough. Um, I want to see Final Fantasy 16. I, I, I think it's time to move on. I, I, I want to revive Aries. I bet you do. <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, indulgent anecdotes, this will be a short one, but way back in the day when Final Fantasy 7 came out on PC, I heard a schoolyard rumor that in the PC version, you could revive Eris if you go to the city of the ancients and like run around some piece of coral counterclockwise so many times. I'm, I swear to God, this is the thing. And then, and then at the end you had to like press some combination of buttons by the water side. And then a catfish would rise to the top and give you the holy material and let you revive airs. Run around for 12 hours and then press alt F4. You just brought the you just brought the new ending for Final Fantasy 15. Mike. No. Oh, giant catfish save the day. Yeah. That'd be all right. It'd be like Lufia. <laughs> is, that, is that what the is that what catfish and Luffy? Am I forgetting that? It, it, is that what King too. of the Deeps is about? Yeah, that is what the that's in the VR. Yeah. The VR game is actually the link to the episode Noctis. Oh, yeah, okay. Exactly. So you, you oh, actually yeah. you get swallowed by the giant catfish, and then it carries <laughs> you to City of the Ancients FF7. Yeah, Paris comes back to life. Then a meteor hits, the ruins of Midgar become Balon Garden, and we're all on our way. Yeah, 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> but don't, for, a, don't a forget that um, the little beautiful kid tidy coda. <laughs> sorry, Peter. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't forget that the little kid from Final Fantasy X to um, builds rocket ships and populates a distant planet, forming the Shinra Corporation. Right. Yes. That's sorry. That was before all of this with FF15. My bad. That's that's the original timeline. And that kid yeah. grew up to be Barack Obama. But that's what you're saying about um, about the artistic integrity of holding to their product. It's just, uh, again, it is doing, I guess, a service to fans. But um, yeah, it, yeah. what does it show about the company when it's coming to having confidence in their product just to let it be? I mean, we've seen them kind of do this before in Final Fantasy X, right? Did they not? I didn't play X2, but I know there was a big division too on how the ending of X kind of got rewritten by that. It does, yeah. It yeah. like sort of reverses the finality of Titus's sacrifice, Titus Titus, and uh, just brings back a happy ending. And then, oh my God, I could almost stomach that. So like after all the after the dust settled, and I was, you know, I accepted that Final Fantasy X2's ending existed. Which, by the way, I think X2 is a pretty fun game. Um, after I had accepted all of that as a thing that had happened, then they had the gall to make the audio drama for the Final Fantasy X2 HD remaster. That was a thing. Oh, yes. yes. The ten three. Yes. So they have this this little audio drama that's like ten or twenty minutes long that you listen to, and it's the characters talking about what happened in the aftermath of ten two, and how you know, Spira's uh, maybe moving back, like Sin might be coming back or something, and they introduce like Oren's daughter, and uh, it was so bizarre. Like I think Titus joins the Crusaders or something. It was like really fan servicey, and then the, it concludes with them being like but Sin might be coming back. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. So, <laughs> is, is that? <laughs> like, they were in, they gave Raceland a daughter. Like, yeah, sure, because oh. he had time to do that in between becoming a god. <laughs> right. Is, is that um, the one where, like, he just kicks a beat, he kicks a blitz ball, but it's a bomb, and then he explodes, and then Yuna catches his head? Uh, no, that's not like, <laughs> Hope not. It's just a thing. It sounded like some parody that somebody made up. But I remember looking it up at the time, Terrible. and it's a real thing. Yeah, so like that right there is, is such an egregious example of them being like, no, we're not going to sit and have confidence in, in the story that we wrote yeah. like 10 years ago, or however long ago it was. And just, yeah, just accept it for what it is and just kind of move forward. Although, <laughs> also be amusing is if Final Fantasy 16 is just Final Fantasy 15, A Realm Reborn. Oh my god! <laughs> they you know, just there bomb. Was, there was a there was a rumor going around for the longest time, and I mean, it's as these rumors go, it's probably not substantiated that there was going to be a uh, a a expansion pack for fifteen that turned it into the original concept for versus thirteen. And I'm just over here like, just you guys need to let it go. Yeah, seriously, right? yeah, let it what go. What even is that? Like a, a tech video from 2010. Yeah, I, I get that a lot of people were invested in that. I was too, and like I wanted to see that game. I feel like we got that game. It's just yeah, we got we, it. We got it. It was what it was. You can't really change that. And I think their attempts to go back and like, like rewrite history are is foolhardy at best. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think I liked it. That's yeah, it. <laughs> Final Fantasy fifteen is not a bad game. I mean, despite all of the intense, passionate discussion that we've been having here. I, I don't know many people who would just say blanket like it's I mean I don't I don't like it's to say that games unplayable. are full on trash right like I, I think there are games that are very very bad um, but and and of course I'm guilty of saying things like oh that game is trash but I try to have reasons and be able to elaborate and discuss so like 
Final Fantasy 15 is not trash. It may not be your favorite Final Fantasy. It may not be to your taste. You may be unhappy with the way that it went down. But like overall, there's still a playable game in there. And someone so, out there is going to like it, just like any game you think is quote unquote trash. Other people are going to be like, well, I love this because of X, Y, Z. And that's, we're just, a, we just have opinions and yeah. that's fine. Everyone's entitled to those. Yeah. So 15 isn't awful. I enjoyed my time with it. Um, I guess there is no definitive answer to whether or not you should play it now or wait. I'm kind of with Fenner. I feel like you should wait because the one thing that I wish I could do differently with 15, regardless of everything else they've done to the game on their end, I wish I could erase my memory of that experience and and try it again once everything was finished. Absolutely. And that makes sense. I mean, I'm excited to get back into it once all this stuff wraps around myself personally, because I'm in the same situation and I haven't touched any of the DLC up till now either, just because I kind of saw what was happening and then I got too busy. So I am excited to go back and see what kind of gets revised in a lot of ways. Um, so for me, I still see that there's value in the game down the line and I'm someone who doesn't mind going back to it, but I can understand that people have so many other things to play and maybe not. I think, I think if you've been holding out and you're curious about jumping in, the Royal Editions is as good a place as any. Mm -hmm. If you've played it already and you haven't been keeping up with the DLC and now you're kind of like, then that would just wait. I've been, because yeah. I have been keeping up. I played the DLC episodes. Like I said, I reviewed two of them. Um, I haven't played Comrades, the multiplayer mode, and honest to God, I have no real interest in doing so, but apparently it's kind of the Dark World section people wish was in the yeah, game, I haven't so. touched it. I'm curious about it. Um, I have I downloaded the royal pack. I haven't played it yet. I'm yeah. We'll see. I'll get there. I mean, if I was to revisit it, I think I probably would wait until like 2019 because you know I poured a lot of time into that game, and that was only maybe like a year and a half ago. So I'm not really ready to go back. But Did I guess I? like I had for now, I've had as much as I can stand, but maybe down the line when there's a whole wealth of content I haven't seen, maybe I'll check it out again. I mean, I wouldn't write it out. I wouldn't write it off. I think it's, it's complicated. My feelings are so complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a complicated product and on a lot of levels. So, oh my God. I mean, product <laughs> is a reductive yeah. word to use to describe an artwork, but like, yes, it's, it's complicated. Imagine, you know what I'm wondering, imagine like a new, a series newcomer, not like a Final Fantasy 15 newcomer, but someone who hasn't played any game in Final Fantasy, period. And you know how it has that little title card that comes up where it's like, this is a fantasy for fans and first timers. Yeah. Imagine telling a first timer, okay, so if you want to play this game, you have to download the nine separate downloadable content packs <laughs> that explain what the plot <laughs> is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's just so oh, messy. And watch the movie. And the, ep oh, and the anime, anime. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you can't play King's Night anymore, so forget about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. what, what else is there? Pocket Edition, that, if you want to play it on the go. Pinball one as well. Was there Justice a Monsters oh, 5. Yeah. yeah, you can't play that either. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. What a mess. Okay, well, I feel like we could go on and on in circles about FF15. So, but we uh, got it. Yeah, there, there's your answer, complicated as it may be. So... <laughs> I Just have, like the game. Yes. Just I have one final question that I want to pose to the podcast crew today. So something that I'd like to do is our social media editors, um, Stefan Nelson, do an amazing job posting interesting and engaging, um, you know, like relatable RPG memes and stuff. But one of the things that they do that I love is when they ask questions to the community about, you know, what's your favorite X? So most recently we had what's your favorite victory pose in an RPG? And it's just fun to get everybody's opinions because it's like, 
it's one of those debates that's just kind of entertaining and nobody has to have their feelings hurt. So um, something that I want to ask based on something that Steph recently posed on social media is, what is your favorite iteration of the Chocobo? Uh, I will start with Greg because you're new and I want you to shine. <laughs> and then I'll pick the most disappointing Pope Chocobo. Uh, no, um, I've always, I mean, the... I don't always get the best use out of them in Final Fantasy Tactics, but I've enjoyed Tactics overall Chocobo design and especially the Reds. Um, so the Red Chocobos definitely get my win. I mean, they've got some great power when you do decide to use them. They're real Choco fun. Meteor, right? Yep. Choco Meteor, they got Chocoball, and I forget the extra thing that happens if you have a Mediator next to them with the talk skill, the monster talk skill, they get an extra ability, and I forget what it is right now. Wow, so Greg's but, going pretty heavy on the utility. Uh, yeah, like they are. They're very utilitarian. It's fun to throw a character on them, get that extra mobility. But who really does that? Because it wastes a move and then wastes actions. But still, they're just very neat. I like what they tried to do with Chocobos in that game. So, yeah. Okay, fun. How about you, Alana? Um, well, I said before this, I've got an interesting one. It's not necessarily my favorite, but someone reminded me on our uh, private chat room between staff. Um, Final Fantasy twos. <laughs> the nice piece of artwork where it's all no feathers and all pink and all skin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, isn't that is that different from the one that was in uh, Legend of the Crystals, the anime? Oh, kind of. no, no, that's like what a, it is. A, yeah, a that's pretty cool. looking one. Yeah, yeah, the really big chicken one. <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, but real talk, really boring. Final Fantasy X's design is always the one that I go back to when someone brings up Chocobo. I always think of Final Fantasy X's nice little... They're not too fluffy, but there's kind of a... They definitely feel more authentic, and there's something really mm. nice about them. There's you, it's, it's, it's the like first a... time... Sorry. Um, there's kind of like the first time you get a sense of scale about how big they are, because the yeah. game is really like big and shiny. But um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're just... really spiffy in that. Yeah, and I mean, God forbid that awful Chocobo mini game to get the sudden sigil, but get that one. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, um, but they just feel they're perfect. Like you get a sense of getting on the Chocobo, riding around. There's the way they stride and everything like that. There's just something really memorable to me about the way they're designed and everything, and they feel like the quintessential Chocobo in my head. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I like them a lot. Little cuties. They have nice, gentle eyes too. They do, and they have the cutest little squeak uh, squeaks as well. So mm. yeah. they just that. seem like yeah, that Chocobo you would most likely see at a petting zoo. Like, yeah, that's what I'd picture. I love that. Definitely. All right. Well, what about you, Peter? Do you have a favorite Chocobo? Uh, I I identify as the fat Chocobo. That's <laughs> <laughs> just your lifestyle. Yeah, it is basically my lifestyle. He just wants to sit there and be comfortable and eat his Gasol greens and maybe have some adventurer store items in his belly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you got to sit around all day being fed, it's uh, there. There are way worse days to, or way worse ways to live out your days than doing that. Also, Fat Chocobos uh, have a fun theme song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Um, he was first in three, right? The Fat Chocobo was three. Its first appearance, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First time I remember seeing it was in four. So US two, when you could. Uh, give go to the Chocobo Forest and give them items, but I think yeah, that would make sense for North America. Yeah, yeah. All right, cute. All right, what about you, Fenner? Uh, well, Peter took mine. I mean, you can't Aww. go wrong with uh, with Fat Chocobo. He's low key daddy thick. Uh, but um, <laughs> oh, in that case, <laughs> I will uh, I will quote the rapper Cupcake and say, "Big or small, I love them all." Um, 
every chocobo has a special place in my heart. Um, I probably the vast number of chocobos in Final Fantasy IV. Um, that was the first one that I played, and you know, riding around on the standard yellow chocobo or flying the black chocobo and getting like that weird kind of um, uh, oh yeah, you know, it's like it's like mambo, isn't it? It was a mambo, I think. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, Fat Chocobo shows up with his music as well. So um, you have this this vast array of uh, of beautiful little birds. Um, I love them every time. But um, I think my strongest memories will be probably Final Fantasy IV or riding around in the Mode 7 overworld in Final Fantasy VI. And that was when you first came across them? Uh, I first saw them in, in, in four, and then the first one that I owned was six. So... Gotcha. Yeah, six was my first exposure to the chocobo. I'm just over here really? reeling that you dropped a cupcake reference on the show. Oh, you know. <laughs> Call back to a couple episodes ago. True. Yeah, yeah. Well, my answer is uh, as much as I loved the chocobo reading in Final Fantasy VII because of how it f- made the world feel more open when you got chocobos, you could do things like climb mountains and go in the sea. That was great. But uh, yeah. As predictable as it may be, I've really got to give it to the Chocobos in Final Fantasy XIV because yeah. I haven't spent as much time with any iteration of the Chocobo as I have the one in fourteen. They are your companions in battle. You can ride them. Um, you can dye their feathers. You can dress them up all cute. Like, what's not to like, guys? Um, there's even a... wings. I know! And there's even a Chocobo racing minigame in the Gold Saucer in FF14, which is actually pretty fun. And I feel like it is really overlooked because the, the Chocobo breeding system in that is kind of convoluted because your your racing Chocobo is separate from your battle companion Chocobo. So you kind of have to like engage with a weird other system to, to oh, level strange. that up. Nah. Yeah, is it but, better handled than FF15's racing? Uh, it's different. It feels more like FF7's in that you're going along a track where your chocobo is moving automatically and you can adjust the sort of, if you think of it as running down a series of columns, you can sort of granularly adjust movement, how far in either direction he goes and like hold a button down to speed up uh, and sprint. And then there are items and stuff. It's like not that involved or anything, but I actually think it's pretty fun. Yeah, that sounds pretty neat. I didn't get get too involved with chocobo racing in 15, but uh, I thought that the way they handled in that game was pretty good. Yeah, it felt really good in 15. Like, they were super useful. Congratulations. You could dye them in 15, couldn't you? Yeah, Yeah, you could. could. Yeah, because I I definitely remember having a a teal chocobo, and that... Oh, I think I did too, actually. Yeah, I gave Prompto a one. Teal buddies. I think I just got that googly-eyed purple one. Oh, God! That, yeah, you can, oh God! If you want to get into the FF15 stuff, which we probably shouldn't, because the discussion's over, you want to talk about some of the weird DLC stuff they've come out with. Not just the fact that they've released weapons and and like car skins, but we had what the cup noodle stuff, uh, the, yeah. cup hat, the giant fork weapon, and now we have this kooky chocobo that you get through Twitch, right? Oh, oh yes, God. it's like oh. a purple chocobo with googly eyes. I just why. Um, it's like a train wreck. One part of me is fascinated by it. The other part of me doesn't want anything to do with all it. God's creatures are created equal. Which is worse, the, the kooky chocobo, the Gordon Freeman costume, or the Sims 4 costume? Oh, the Sims. I forgot about that. Oh, oh Nope. All right. For, all the assassin's chocobo. 
we are all forgetting the greatest chocobo in Final Fantasy history, which has its own heavy metal theme song. The crazy oh. chocobo. So you are think we in heaven or hell? I don't know. <laughs> I I think I can ride this chocobo. Heavy metal breakdown ensues. Okay, well, cute. That's a cute question. So I will continue yeah. looking for whatever's going on in social media. And uh, if I see any particularly exciting responses, I will probably highlight them on the show. But uh, fun time. coming. Yeah, so we're getting pretty close to wrapping up the show today. I know that Robert Fenner is going to be attending EGX Res, right, in London. So you have some stuff coming up. I sure am. Uh, at the time of recording, uh, I'm getting ready to go to this in the next day. Um, but by the time you're hearing this, it will be all over and I will likely be working on my write-ups. Uh, EGX Rest is a offshoot of Eurogamer's EGX um, big games show here in the UK. Uh, Rest is pretty much exclusively indie games. So I've got a range of appointments. Let me just look at my calendar. Is Y2K going to be there? I will be writing about you can find on the site. Um, I'm going to be seeing uh, Lamplight City, which I've done a preview for before. Uh, the upcoming Knights and Bikes, which looks like kind of like a, a British step cousin to Night in the Woods uh, with a Paper Mario esque battle system. Uh, I'm report in on Sunless Skies and um, a very peculiar looking crime RPG called Disco Elysium. So expect some weirdness up on the site within the next week, folks. I would expect nothing else from you, Fenner. Mm, Travis Strikes Again is going to be there, and I tried to get an appointment to see it, but our I couldn't sync up calendars oh. with Grasshopper, unfortunately. But, yeah. Well, there's still plenty of time before that one comes out, so I'm sure we can get something brewing at, at E3 at the very least, because that's mm. coming up, like, two months, guys, until E3. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Friday. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a Tavis um, Striggs again has a it's got like an MSX style adventure game as one of the as one of the mini games. So that might be something for us to I'm discuss intrigued. at a later date. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. deaf. Well, everybody, thanks for being here on the show. I think that's gonna do it for us. So listeners, if you have questions, comments, or spare potions, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rpgfancom. And you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. It would be super cool of you to subscribe to us through iTunes or through the RSS feed. Please leave us a review. Um, I think our our last review I saw on iTunes was somebody saying, like, five stars for Caitlin for defending Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So <laughs> I'm glad her voice was heard. And the rest of us will just be jerks about it. And by the rest the of Caitlin us... Caitlin Defender has not gone. <laughs> she hasn't this time. So or, you mean that, that person is the Caitlin Defender? That person yeah, is the Caitlin got Defender. It, got it. <laughs> well, Caitlin will probably be back soon. She unfortunately couldn't make it today, but I'm sure she'll be on the next episode or so. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. For me, Fenner, Alana, Greg, and Peter, we appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you all later.